Boom. Hello and welcome to the Protector Nation podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to making the world a better place, making the world a safer place by making good people dangerous. In this podcast, we're going to study and understand what it takes to protect, to protect your family, to protect your loved ones, because we all know that you have a few basic needs, food, water, and shelter, but you also have the need to protect those things. In a world and society where evil runs rampant and is sometimes left unchecked, learning how to protect yourselves and your loved ones is becoming more and more important. And so we strive to raise the level of accountability to those who would do evil on this planet by making sure that the sheep, that the flock, is more well-versed in protecting themselves and their loved ones. If that sounds interesting to you, then sit back and enjoy the show. Out. Boom, what's up, you guys? Byron Rogers here with another special episode of the Protector Podcast. This is gonna be an awesome one. I've got a good friend, Emily Chen here. How you doing? Hey, Byron, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, it's an honor. I've been meaning to have you for quite some time on the show. There's so many reasons to have you on the show, you know, um, but I'm glad I waited because different things kind of unfolded, you know, as I've known you <clears throat> from initially when I first started shooting, you know, like years ago, and that's evolved into now, you know, and now you're like instructing and that's crazy how time does that and how, you know what I mean? Like we've both developed so much since those days, you know? Uh, so that's really beautiful. That's really cool. And then, you know, just your past and who you are and things like that have also opened up uh, to really show me that you have so much more. Like I would have had you on the show for one thing, but you have so much more to offer, you know, as I've gotten Thank to that. 100%. Just a little digging into the first question and we'll kind of, well, actually we'll dig into kind of like, what are you up to these days? Just so everyone can understand where you're at in the world and what you're doing. Oh my goodness. Um, as crazy as the world has been, um, I'm still instructing. I've been instructing for the last four or five years now. Um, and that has significantly picked up because of the pandemic. Um, yeah. and as I'm sure a lot of other instructors are experiencing as well. Um, so just super busy teaching. Um, I teach over at Chino Hills uh, at Prado Olympic Shooting Park with Artifacts Firearms Training. I've been with them for several years now. Um, outside of Chino Hills, I'm teaching down in Oceanside where I'm actually a local resident and I'm over at Iron Sights off of Oceanside Boulevard. Awesome. So, you know, when I, were you teaching with, uh, artifacts and all these different things when I first saw you at that competition at like Paula like way back in the day oh my gosh no I was just a baby <laughs> yeah so you've kind of like had this whole firearms career really you know like you said you mentioned Terran Tactical and a few other companies like that you know that yeah are... I've been very blessed Terran Tactical Grizzly Ears Tiga Tactics they've been absolutely amazing to me and have been extremely supportive throughout my journey right exactly you know and so there's the tactical side of the house y'all but then we're also going to get into some real world uh trafficking human trafficking and things like that as well uh so this episode is going to have a little something uh it's going to have a lot in it um but <laughs> i'm proud of you for coming through everything the way you have absolutely yeah absolutely yeah and, and now you're instructing and you're you know teaching and anyways it's, it's awesome yeah um, so what would you say, you know, who are you at your core? Well, I always like to start from the beginning. Emily. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I hate that question because <laughs> yeah. it's a constant search for self-discovery. You're never the same person that you were last year or even yesterday. 
who am I at my core? I honestly don't know how to answer that. Um, throughout my years, you know, I've, I know a lot of people don't see me this way, but I've been extremely insecure um, for many reasons. You know, part of it was my upbringing with my, my family and um, the things that I'd been through with trafficking. And then that also kind of bleeds over into our industry where it's a very male dominated uh, industry and not exactly welcoming for women. I think more so now than it, it was in the past. Yeah. So you've probably seen, you know, a lot of not just cyberbullying, but a lot of like sexism and stuff in the industry. Um, but I'm actually very proud of gents such as yourself who really stood up for women like myself who have given ourselves to the passion of shooting for sport or for defense. Um, and you guys are the guys that really helped us get through the, the sexism and the misogyny and all that stuff to help us become successful. So personally, I want to thank you for your strength. Oh, well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah. To answer your question again, I'm sorry. I, I just go into these little tangents. Um, who am I at my core? When I was really insecure, even last year, I was a completely different person. I would say my my genuine journey started this January. In the past, I was always searching for who I wanted to be or who I am in general. But this January, I went through two separate therapists to really get down to, you know what, you're not happy and you want to make a huge difference in your life to, you know, make a difference in other people's lives as well, because we all know that change starts with you. So um, I committed myself to not only being a better person, but practicing to be a better person for myself and for others and um, significantly feel stronger as an individual, um, definitely wiser um, and just overall feeling really good about myself. And I'm allowing myself to feel good about myself these days. So um, who am I at my core? I would say I'm a, a very positive and resilient person. Outstanding, I love it. And it's gotta be true as we dig into some more of these details, otherwise you really wouldn't be here, really, you know. Um, that's a fact. You know, I've seen history cause some of the strongest people I know to take their lives. And that, and, and you know that as well. So that, that I completely, I really appreciate hearing that. And it means so much, you know, for the things that we go through, for them not to destroy us, to eat us alive because they stink and can. Yeah. Another thing, uh, and it's like, it's so real, you know, another thing is that you mentioned that I'd like to um, highlight is that like you go to therapy, you know, this is so tremendously important. Like, I don't know, personally, like I think even for normal people, normal people, you know, <laughs> you know, like, like for people that haven't been to war or the things that you're talking about. And I, and I say this and, and I, I should um, do better in this area, you know, cause I do go to therapy, uh, but most of it's around, you know, like my relationship. Um, but I've always wanted to go to just my own therapist and sit there and just get to work on myself because it's like, you have someone who's trained in this art, like digging, helping you dig around inside yourself. You know, um, it's so stinking valuable. It is. Uh, yeah. just, I have attempted in the past to find therapists, but yeah. it's really hard to find someone that you can really connect with. Um, chemistry is a thing. Um, 
you know, when people hear, oh, chemistry, it means like sexual chemistry. No, not at all. We're talking about the development of the relationship that you have with the, your therapist, because you're not going to just right off the bat, get in touch with the person um, that you're sitting with and, and really connect with them. Um, and that's something that I really struggled with. Uh, I think it was two years ago, I tried to find a therapist and the one that I had was not exactly the best person that I um, had. Um, if anything, if I listened to my therapist, I wouldn't be married to an amazing man right now. So things like that can happen. <laughs> that can happen. I've had to do a couple of those. Right? I, yeah, my, my experience was, was with church therapy. And it was like, church is church. And they might mean well, but like pastors aren't therapists. You want to go to someone who has a degree in this that like knows what they're, you know what I mean? Like, it, I'm just going to put that in there. People can do what they want with it. Just remember, your pastor might not be a therapist. So, you know, just be careful. Anyways, yeah, I had an experience like that as well. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think it's very important. And uh, sorry if I cut you off there. I didn't mean to. So, yeah, I wanted to talk about that for a second. And then, you know, kind of why do you do what you're doing now? You know, why all the tactical stuff? What's that about? Um, I just have a passion for teaching others. You know, I feel like the reason why is because I was always expected to just know things. Just a little history about my, my shooting in general. I started when I was 13 years old. It was really a recreational thing. My father introduced it to me as like, hey, here's a gun. This is how you shoot it. It's kind of like, here's a car. Here's how you drive it, right? It should be simple. They're all mechanics. But I realized I got really good at it at a young age. And because it was one of the few things I was really good at, I wanted to pursue it. Um, and so when I realized that people in general were just expected to know how to shoot a gun, if it was just sitting in front of them, I thought, no, that definitely needs to change. Um, mm -hmm. You see a lot of people going to the range and they don't even know what to shoot. They don't know what kind of gun works best for them. That was never even a concept. It really started off with like, oh, I'm gonna just shoot whatever I see in the movies and like hope that I hit something that's three feet in front of me, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so because I, I hated, I still hate the idea that someone's just expected to know something. I wanted to be part of their growth. I wanted to be part of the educational system behind firearms, especially here in California, which obviously gets a very bad rap. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. That's awesome. You know, so it's just kind of something that's like been in your heart, something that was like introduced to you at a young age and then, you know, helping and contributing has just kind of been in your heart in this area. That's awesome. What would you say is your mission these days? Oh, man, a lot of things have been happening in my life. Uh, my most recent mission officially is my husband. Um, so we will be moving to Okinawa at the end of this July. Um, and it was a very, very hard decision for me because I am not ready to give up my career um, as an instructor or even to stop competing in shooting, um, which has been slowed down because of the pandemic lately and because of the increase in having to teach. But because, you know, you're in a partnership, your partner will always have to come first. And, and that's a choice that you make every day. Um, I was on the fence because I was feeling fulfilled with my career, but I didn't want to be that shitty wife that was like, hey, I'm going to pick my career over my husband. And so um, that was another reason why I had to go to therapy because I was not only trying to really find direction, but to really come to peace with the idea that, okay, you know what, 
just because one chapter of your life closes doesn't mean it doesn't open up for other opportunities in the future. Um, and I don't know what's going to be out there in Oki for me. Uh, I know that I won't be able to bring my guns and that shooting's not allowed, but there's airsoft. So I can always take that up as, you know, something to hold me over for the next three years while um, I discover other amazing things. Yes. So yeah. my first is going to be my husband. That's beautiful. That's amazing. It's refreshing to hear, actually. And our world is just by nature, I think, because it's so consumer driven. Um, everything's very much about like the individual, you know, so you don't hear things like this every day. One thing I will say about Airsoft is, you know, being a gun guy, you know, I remember like I, I didn't want to respect it. Yeah, I didn't want to respect it. I was just like, yeah, whatever, man. Then I had a buddy. It was actually Alex Coe was like, yeah, we're going to go do airsoft for my birthday. You think you can hang? You want to come hang out? And I was like, yeah, man, whatever, dude. Do some airsoft, like big deal, man, you know? And uh, it was legit. <laughs> like, it was legit. It was legit. And I remember my legs were sore for days afterwards. We ran, like, executive protection scenarios, which I did win one of them. Yes, I did. We did two oh, yeah, of them. Awesome. One of them. Um, uh, and, and it was really good training, like to the point where, um, it's, it was great force on force training. So, you know, we, we do what we do it on a square range and we do what we do in competitions, airsoft and force on force stuff is a whole different beast. And actually I intend to build a lot more of that into my training regimen. You'll be more dangerous if you do airsoft on a more regular basis than you are right now, just shooting competitions and training. You just will. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can definitely throw in a lot more uh, realistic situations and you really test your strength, your resilience, your your mentality while you're under duress. That's a huge thing. Yeah, fluid intelligence, fighting another human. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's why jujitsu and sports that you can practice at speed are so effective at making you dangerous. Um, that's awesome but your whole you know philosophy in that and supporting your husband and your husband being your mission this stuff is valuable these are very very uh honorable attributes especially in today's world he's blessed to have someone with that mentality um outstanding so now we get into the real world story you know of you know what happened you know and, and what's taken place in your life with regards to trafficking and thank you for honoring us with this story yeah, you're welcome. Um, so I was 17 when I met my trafficker and it was all coercion, basically. You know, it didn't outright scream human trafficking. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Um, he was very charming. Just I was in a, in a very vulnerable position because I didn't have a good relationship with my family, specifically my mother. And I was constantly thinking, I just want to get out of my environment. It's too toxic for me. So when I met my trafficker, um, he was not only charming, but very patient. And I think that's part of the process with people who are looking to groom uh, victims. They are always patient. They do everything they can to be trusting. And so I fell into that pit, basically. Um, he was the only person that I felt that I could trust. And so when I turned 17 and I graduated high school, he asked, hey, do you wanna move in together? Because I know that you don't have a good relationship with your family. Um, and you know, he wanted to develop a more intimate relationship with me. So obviously I saw that as an exit uh, and a chance to get out of my environment. And so I moved into an apartment with him in Irvine. 
And for the first month, it was great. It was like, oh, I feel like a brand new person. He's reaffirming my confidence. He's reaffirming uh, with affection and pretty much anything else that can make you feel good about yourself. And then the following month, I realized things were starting to get out of control because he was becoming more controlling, not just mentally and emotionally, but also physically. Um, and then I realized that things were not in a good place when I just couldn't get out of the apartment. How would you say, like, how long did the grooming take? You said he was really patient. <clears throat> yeah. and so I would say it was about uh, a year, year and a half process. Wow. A year and a half process and you believe this were these were his intentions from the beginning you can't tell this person made it look like he wanted to be my boyfriend which at the time he was um i started off not really being able to connect with anybody he showed interest in me not as a like a friend but also as somebody that he would like to you know get to know on a deeper level and so all those things were just like shiny dangly things for me to try and get yeah as you think back, were there any like, were there any like target indicators that could have uh, tipped you off to like nefarious intent or maybe was it not there? Were there any like tells? I think back to it all the time because a lot of people ask that question and it's really hard because they're just, they're just a trusting person. Um, there was never any indication for me, at least in my my mind that said hey this might be too good to be true sometimes it was because you know i didn't really have any friends and so i didn't really know what was healthy especially coming from a bad uh broken family yeah. and so in my mind it's like if anything was good then i gotta take it while i still can have it it was almost like i was a vulture you know, mm -hmm. um, just thinking like, I know that my whole life just sucked. And if there's any good in it, I just want to cling on to it and take it for what it is. Yeah. So, ah, and you know, like those of us who have daughters, you know, it's like something that I, a reoccurring theme that I have definitely realized. And there's a lot of data that supports that makes the female more vulnerable and males, but really females, like we have different battles, you know. Um, is that is that insecurity in that broken home um, and wanting to escape that and it creates like a a pocket for another male with whatever value system he has or person to slide into and uh, gain some really really important real estate in that person's being. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think. You know, a lot of times parents don't really think too much into their kids' social lives. Like, what kind of friends are they making? Um, a lot of times parents think, oh, I don't want kids over at my house. But that's an opportunity to get to know who your friends or your kids' friends are. Um, you know, have them in your home and just get to know the, the kinds of people that your children are surrounding themselves with. Um, another important aspect, especially for those in high school, maybe even middle school, is sexual education. You know, you talk about the biology aspect of it and how to procreate, but you don't talk about issues when it comes to like men raping women or even men, women raping men and, you know, whatever the genders are these days. <laughs> I'm making a joke about that. But in general, 
there's no education about like stranger danger or anything that can cause you mental, emotional and physical harm when it comes to intimacy. And I think that schools have a problem with that because it's a very difficult topic to touch on. Um, I didn't receive any sexual education and it was really hard because when I asked my parents, they just said, oh, you'll know when you're older someday and that's it. But there was never an insight to look you're becoming a woman and you are going to attract men and you have to be careful. Having that very difficult but real conversation is so vital. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as skills that could have equipped you a bit, you're saying like sexual education with regards to even the intangible aspects of sexual interaction could have really helped and possibly equipping equipping you or the young person with things that help with self-esteem, you know, um, would also help, you know, maybe helped you seeing that person more accurately, or maybe even chosen a higher quality or even attracted a higher quality person. Yeah, I was from a place that knew nothing about anything. So anything could have happened, which it did. <laughs> Murphy's Law, right? Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting stuff to dig around in. and thanks for going on this little exploration. Yeah. You know? oh, good. And on top of those things, I think teaching kids situational awareness, teaching kids how to be control of their own bodies um, yeah. in the aspect of physical activities like martial arts, right? Like obviously kids can't really bring weapons to school or anything like that, but they still have the capability to defend themselves in other ways. And I think that that's part of the confidence building process because you know martial arts in general despite what age you are when you achieve something you've never done before it makes you feel amazing yes. and so if you apply that to children who you know see it as oh my god this is so monumental like i don't even know how to do all these things but then you teach them how and then they do it, then it opens their eyes to seeing that they have so much potential for greatness. Um, and that just takes them even further. And then applying that to a public situation, you know, your attacker in most cases have no idea what they're doing. All they're thinking about is I'm going to either attack this person right off the bat in an explosive motion and just hope that I get what I want or maybe it's pre-planned, but the fact is that most of the time it just happens right away. And if children uh, apply situational awareness um, and even learn how to either evade or escape if they can't fight off their attacker, um, then it would just probably be a safer situation. Mm -hmm. Well, and you, you touched on some things that were huge in terms of developing confidence. You know, uh, confidence comes from experience. I'm seeing a lot with people that I'm interacting with, you know, our world is so easy now. It's yeah. so easy now. And so a lot of people are growing up without really realizing who they are or really having to go through anything that breeds confidence inside themselves because confidence comes from self-trust, from experience with yourself. And if you've never done anything difficult, if you've never even seen that you can learn or achieve anything great or above what the average is, then how do you have self-trust when adversity shows up? You know, you have arrogance, which is inaccurate confidence. You think you're special because like your mama told you you're special or because 
you know, like you see a lot of commercials on TV that like talk about how cool you are just for being here. Like, but there's no participation trophies in life, at least not in your mind, you know, like what really makes me special? What makes me different? Ask yourself right now. You know, some of us have answers to these questions. Some of us unfortunately don't. And it creates a vacuum in our minds, you know, and it makes it so that external things then impact us way more heavily than they should. And they have way more of a say on what we think about ourselves than they should. What we think about ourselves should come from inside what we know about ourselves, what we've proven to ourselves, you know? Um, and, I, and it's really unfortunate that people become adults without these experiences of proving these things to themselves that no one else can take away. Yeah, and I think that uh, that comes with circling back to being an instructor of some kind, right? Um, I was very blessed to have Daniel with Artifacts who took me under his wing, not just to be one of his instructors, but uh, took me in as a friend. And he really taught me what it's like to be respected. Um, he taught me how to respect myself because I was just a wild mess. Like if you ask Daniel, what was Emily like when you first met her? He'd give you this face like, oh man, she's crazy, right? Um, but if it wasn't for him, I don't think I would ever be anything close to the person that I am today because nobody taught me what self-respect was. Even most of the friends that I surrounded myself with were emotionally and mentally abusive, but because I was so used to that, it was like, well, this is normal, right? When really it's not normal and it should never be normal. Yeah. I remembered one time I was working at a gunsmithing shop um, and I looked up to this person as a big brother, but he had no issues putting his hands on me. He would slap me or push me around. And I let it happen because that's what I was used to. That was normal for me. And so um, without going into detail, there was an incident at Prado where someone had put their hands on me. And that was a huge lesson because Daniel was there and he witnessed everything and he said, doesn't matter what it was, a man should never ever touch you like that. And I thought, oh, but I'm not physically hurt. So why is it such a big deal? But then, you know, in general, he just said, no one should ever touch you like that just because of a verbal altercation. And that was mind blowing to me. And that shows you just how little respect that I had for myself because I didn't know where to even start. Yeah. So it was a huge life changer for me. That's awesome. I remember seeing part of this metamorphosis from the outside. When yeah. I noticed you like changed your, because uh, well, I'm just some sensitive human. So like, I remember meeting you and then I remember, uh, I think you changed your name on Instagram and I was like, nice. <laughs> I was like, I see this, this is good. Yeah. This is very healthy. Um, and I think it's this the stuff we're talking about is so important. It's like when Jesus says, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Like if you can hear and understand these things, like they're very important things. And I hope that people can feel the weight and value in them. And then the other thing too, like, you know, one might think when they see human trafficking and then they see like your nationality during this podcast that like this was something that happened like when you were a kid in some other country somewhere, like you like escaped to America and right. got away or whatever. <laughs> like this happened in Irvine. Yeah. What would you say about Born that? and raised in California, you know, never stepped foot in China, never will. Um, my family's from Taiwan anyway, so fuck China. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> right. but um it's true you know a lot of people see me and they're like oh you must have come from a third world country um or you worked at a massage parlor and that's where it happened because those are the stereotypical human trafficking places right but that's not the case whatsoever i was sold on craigslist in irvine um and wow. irvine apparently has a really bad rep for just sweeping things under the rug wow yeah that's interesting. So let's go more deeply into this. So what exactly happened? So you said that you couldn't get out of the apartment at a certain point. Yeah. And that's how things were going south. Uh, so be a little bit more specific. Okay. So then what happened? So he basically at some point locked you in the apartment and put you for sale on, on, on Craigslist. Yes, so I was not alone ever. I was never left alone. Um, it was either my trafficker or there were there were definitely others. Yeah. Um, I was either physically restrained and or kept in the closet. Um, and that is a very difficult thing to explain, I guess, because I still have nightmares and I wake up in my closet, like in my bedroom closet. And, you know, I've talked to my therapist about that. And um, she said that it's one of those places where even though you had a traumatic event in there, it was the only safe place that you felt in that toxic environment because it was the one thing that separated you from them. If they needed you, then they would come get you. But that's the only time you really had to yourself. Yeah. Um, but to answer your question about, you know, what happened afterwards, it just, they became a lot more physically controlling. They, they restrained me in different ways. Um, I was either drugged or just completely unconscious for, I don't even know how long, like hours, maybe days. They would concoct drugs at the apartment, not like uh, methamphetamines or anything like that, but I'm talking about um, like mixing paint thinner with NyQuil and like all these things that you can just buy from the store. I don't know what they made me drink. I don't know what they spiked my drinks with or my food or anything like that. Um, all I knew is that I was either conscious or not. And if I wasn't conscious, like, thank God for that. Yeah. Wow. That's intense. And how did this situation ultimately culminate into your escape? So it was April 14th at 6.30 in the morning. Um, and I wrote about that as my alive day because, you know, it's my day of freedom. Uh, but the, just one morning officers showed up. The FBI was there also, but I was in the closet and I just heard this ruckus, just a bunch of people running into the apartment. I remembered hearing it and then I saw the closet door opening and someone took my hand and they led me out of the apartment and I was taken to the hallway and I was able to watch everybody just kind of like break apart the apartment basically. They were trying to find evidence, plenty of evidence was there. They weren't expecting me to be there because they were looking for my trafficker. Um, and unfortunately, he was the only one at the time when the raid happened. Uh, I remembered seeing guns being drawn at him. There must have been at least 10 people in the living room itself drawing guns at him. Um, and then that's when I later also found out that the German police had been looking for him. Uh, and so I didn't know anything. All I saw was people going in and people arresting him. Uh, after that, I remember standing in the hallway with this officer and he was still holding my hand. He was like, 
you're awfully calm about this. And I said, I don't know how to feel. I was just so much in shock. Um, I didn't really know how to process all that information. So once they had my trafficker in handcuffs and they sat him down on the living room floor, I was taken back into the bedroom. They set up a seat um, for me to sit down in so they can question me about everything. And it turned out that my trafficker said that the computer in the apartment was mine and it wasn't, it was definitely his. Um, so they were basically, not, I don't wanna say interrogating, they were interrogating him, but they were just nicely asking me questions to verify what was going on. Um, so that, that was pretty much it. Um, I was offered witness protection program, which I turned down because at the time I thought, oh, my life is great, it's gonna be fine uh, from here on out. Um, later on, I realized I probably should have taken the offer, um, but in general, it was, it was a day of mixed emotions. Wow. So just traversing, did you feel any connection to your capture? Did you feel any like sympathy for him or anything like that? No, definitely not. Um, I was tortured for six months, physical, mm -hmm. mental, and emotional torture mm -hmm. that I still feel today, you know, I relive it through my nightmares. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little emotional thinking about it. Um, the worst thing that they've ever done to me was they waterboarded me and they gang raped me at the same time. And I had to be conscious for that. Anytime I was trying to just slip away, you know, you, you have this out of body experience where you just don't want to be a part of it. And I've written this a couple times where um, I mentioned that your body is just a flesh bag. Like that's literally true. Um, at some point, pain is no longer an issue. You just go numb. You mentally go numb. You physically go numb. And all you can think is like, I just want to fucking die. And that's why um, within those six months, I literally tried to kill myself. I tried to commit suicide because I just needed to get out and there was no other way but they, they took that from me. And that was the hardest part of coming out alive. So the day that I was rescued or found, whatever the term may be, um, I, I felt happiness because I'm free. But at the same time, I didn't know if I was actually free because I didn't know what else to expect after this. Um, and because that had been a very conditioned lifestyle for a long time, I didn't know how else to live my life. Um, and I was still stuck mentally and emotionally back to when I tried to kill myself and I couldn't. That to me felt like unfinished business. And I still feel that way. A lot of times people think like, just because you're rescued, you get to live happily ever after. No, that shit sticks with you for the rest of your life. And so, um, you know, going through therapy recently has helped with it, but I have intrusive thoughts. I have moments where I'm like, I'm having a bad day and I'm talking myself through it, but that lingering feeling of like, you should have just killed yourself when you had the chance. And I did, you know, I tried. I had grabbed a pair of scissors because that's all I could get my hands on. And I attempted to stab myself. And as soon as I grabbed the scissors and I was going for it, somebody grabbed me and took it away from me. And then, you know, other things happened after that. But um, it was hard. It was very hard. Yeah, no, that's, that's something that, you know, there are a lot of accounts of disassociation under extreme trauma. Um, and those trauma imprints, you know, our, our mind 
records everything that happens, but the trauma imprints on us the hardest and the, the, the deepest. You know, it's, it's they talk a lot about with us trying to get over PTSD about, you know, trying to normalize those things and speak about those things and tell those stories as much as possible um, because that helps us process the reality. You know, I feel bad for people that live in reality that have no idea that this is reality and it's happening right now all around the world, you know, and it should upset the righteous person, you know, because it's happening right now. And the only thing for evil that evil needs in order to thrive is for good men to do nothing, you know, and, and good women and good people to do nothing. And this is kind of one of the things I want to stir up in people is it's not just good enough to be good. We must be formidable and we must, if we're warriors, seek evil and seek to eradicate evil, you know, as righteously, you know, as compassionately, but ruthlessly as possible. Um, I think those things are important. The other thing that I, want to say to you is you know for everything you've gone through you know you are so special for those things let me try not to get emotional with you because you know but you know these um these things that we go through um they make us who we are and we get to choose you know we get to choose. We're not just special because we go through them. We're special because of the choices we make after we go through them about what they're going to mean, you know, in the future, about what they're going to mean to us and how they're going to um, cause us to act, you know, because these things become weapons in our hands if we can choose to, to live righteously afterwards, you know. Um, you endured these things and you made it through these things. And that's beautiful. But what's even more beautiful and more powerful is that now you're equipped with these experiences. And although it is hard, it's a cross you have to carry, um, you also have the ability and the power by the grace of God, because you made it through there somehow, um, to now speak into people's lives in ways that you couldn't before. You know, your story has power. You know, we win by the blood of the lamb, but the word through the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, you know, that testimony that you have now is a tool for good, for light, for righteousness. And you're now an example that people that hear this and that the world are, is going to look at of despite what's happened to me and what is happening to millions of other people women and, and young men and people this year um, right now, how they can live despite these things that have happened. So I have to commend you and I have to honor you for being here. It's so dang valuable, you know, and your strength to be able to go into these things for the sake of good, you know, it's, it's so honorable. Thank you. Absolutely. I admire you. It's, it's real. So and I'll be getting emotional ever. So <laughs> that's awesome, girl. I'm so proud of you. Um, and it's so powerful. You don't get, you can't, you can't get power like this or things like this. It doesn't come from working out. There's nothing, you, you have to go through it, you know, to be where we are now, where you are now. So it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. Um, but the choices you make 
you know, after these traumas happen is where is what is what makes the difference. So yeah. a lot of times people don't even know where to start. I know I didn't. Um, people also ask me, well, how did you get through those six months? Like, what was your motivation? And I told them I just thought about my family because they were threatened, uh, you know, to be killed by my trafficker if I attempted to escape, if I attempted to do anything that they didn't want me to do. And so it was really, if I don't go through with this, then my family's going to be dead and I can't live with that. Like anybody that I give a shit about, if something were to happen to them because of me, there's no way I, I could ever live. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's the psychological control, you know, I think that I know that they use, you know, it's people are like, well, why don't you just run away? Or why don't you just this and the next thing? Like, you know, to some of the folks that are tied and up in this game that, that, you know, are out in the streets, it's like, well, there's a lot more to this type of bondage than just physical uh, detainment in many cases. Uh, there's a lot of psychological control and it's effective, especially when you see how ruthless these people are. Like. You know? people have no idea how inhumane people can be. Just, you can think of the most fucked up shit out there and someone is definitely doing it 10 times worse. Right, absolutely. And understanding that that's organic to the human form. Humans have been doing things like this to each other and for, since humans have been on the planet, you know, so to think that like all people are just good and things will just be fine is it's, it's, it's such a flawed mentality. There's evil in everyone, you know, um, and we make choices about what we're going to feed inside of ourselves. I think that makes a difference. Um, there's a lot of beauty in humanity, but there's just as much darkness. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, specifically women who know about my situation, they ask, well, how did you learn to trust men again? Um, and to me, it was never even a gender thing. I mean, there's plenty of women out there who also traffic children or other individuals. It's never a gender thing. It's just like you said, it's a human thing. There's a lot of beauty in humanity. And I came to a position where, yes, it was very scary because now it's like I question everything and everyone, but everyone deserves a clean slate. Everyone deserves to be seen as who they are. Um, and what I've learned is that consistency and behavior is another form of situational awareness, right? When we were talking about looking back, if I were younger, um, what were what would have been a better way to figure out who I could trust? Um, that would be be patient with this person, be patient and see what kind of consistent behaviors they have. If yeah. you feel like the consistency is over a period good, then great, you can start trusting that person. Don't just simply accept everything, right? If you know what your limits are, if you're not okay with something, that's fine. You know, right. it, you shouldn't just simply accept somebody for all they are if you don't like anything about them. That makes no sense. And it's a pure disrespect to yourself as well. Um, so just learning what your limits are and, and being aware of consistent behavior, that's something that we... Uh, in, in our field of work, right? You as an executive protector, myself as an instructor, when we're activating our situational awareness in a public setting, we have the baseline plus anomaly equals decision, right? right. That's usually the formula. 
You go somewhere, you know what everyone's normal behavior is going to be like, but then when someone starts acting a little bit weird, you're like, that's weird. That's not normal in this environment. 100%. And I think too, the boundaries you're kind of talking about, setting boundaries and looking for patterns is so big, you know, it's so big. And it does come right back to what you were mentioning at the beginning of this thing. If you have a vacuum of insecurity, if you have insecurity, if you're, you don't have, if you have insecurity as kind of the base of your personality, you're not going to be able to enforce boundaries. You're not going to be able to see patterns of uh, negative or anomalies or, or, or troubling behavior accurately because you're just going to be trying to feed off of the validation that person gives you rather than seeing all the other tells. Um, and it, it comes back to that. What's your relationship like with yourself? Yeah. You know, you can't outperform your self-concept. You know, you'll, you won't enforce boundaries because you'll be so concerned with losing someone, you know, and this is when you start to slip into a trap of what can become maybe not even a trafficking relationship, but just an abusive relationship or a relationship where your relationship with yourself is so toxic that someone else treating you in a toxic manner isn't weird. And then you spend your whole entire life, you know, really not ever being able to acquire happiness and, and a good, healthy sight picture on yourself. And you don't have to be perfect to do that. You just got to be working on yourself, you know? Yeah, absolutely. None of us are perfect. You know, I, you know, most everything I do is from the reality of my imperfection. You know, it's like, why are you up in the morning working out? Because you think you're somebody special? No, it's because I know I'm going to be fat if I don't. <laughs> you know, and I'm kind of fat right now, which isn't really fat, but it's kind of chubby. So I need to work on it. Yeah, I mean, like, oh my gosh, you know, yeah. Okay, whatever, Byron. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I'm trying to get that six pack, son. Yeah, I got like a couple of them. I want all of them. You know, but that's that's the reality. You know, it's 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 fine to be imperfection is perfection because everyone's so imperfect in some ways you know but it's that that stuff's so important yeah and i think um what you mentioned is really important because a lot of times we we want to be perfect right but we have a very difficult time accepting our imperfections um which in some ways is actually really good because that that helps you want to be better right if you have that mindset of i'm not happy with who i am what do i have to do to improve upon that it's going to be a constant journey, right? Like I said before, you're not going to be the same person you were last year, but as long as you're trying and you actually are going through that journey, you're actively telling yourself, I want to be this person. I'm going to do it. Then you're going to get to where you eventually want to be because you know, you're just never happy with yourself. And maybe in some cases you're like, I'm happy with these things, but there's always going to be at least one thing you're thinking I can do better and I will do better and I have to do better. Yeah, it's so good. I had somebody tell me the other day, like, am I ever going to be good enough? I'm like, what are you talking about? What are we talking about good enough? There's no such thing as good enough, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, the whole entire game is like, I'm not good enough. So I work hard, but I'm good. I'm better than I was yesterday. You know what I mean? Like now I'm kind of good at some stuff. You know what I mean? Now, yeah. granted, you know, we shoot competitively. We know how good we're not. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, God, no. These guys out here, girls out here. You know, they make it look easy. <laughs> yeah, they're like got superpowers compared to us. But you know, we ain't where we were when we started. That's, that's for sure. And you know, we can hang with you know, we can go to pretty much any class and hang with the best of them. You know, but then we go back into our world of competitive shooting, and it's like you, you, you I, you're I, right, buddy. <laughs> like, you're okay. You're good. You know, like ish. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and that's so healthy. I think it is. Life, uh, progress equals happiness you know not perfection you never arrive you know um 
I think it's a very healthy paradigm. Yeah, and there's something to be said about doing it for yourself. You know, we we also think about, well, I want to do these things because it will impress others. Okay, yeah. but like, think about the satisfaction you'll bring to yourself. Like if you're sitting in your room on your own and you're like, man, you know what? I did this. I did this for me. And being proud of yourself. Like, I remember the very first time that I felt proud of myself and it was like, mind-blowing to me because I've never been able to feel proud of myself for something yeah. um, we go through a lot of our insecurities our fears and we focus so much about that but we don't think about all the positive things that we've done for ourselves in our lives and maybe because we live with ourselves every day it seems so minuscule but really when we compare kind of like what you said a couple years ago to now like you're not the same person and you're a better version of yourself you just didn't see it as you were going through it but when you make that comparison, the before and after, like it's night and day. It's huge. I'll go shoot a competition on Saturday and be pissed at myself for how bad I've been. You know what I'm saying? But then if I see tape of myself from two years ago, I'm like, yeah, well, this is this is counting. It counts what I've been doing. Uh, it's and part of the progress. Yeah, it's it's um, it's like you fight a dragon of insecurity. You know, it's like it's but it's work that's got to be done. It's got to be done. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful battle. It's one of the most important battles I think that we all have to fight. Because it's what you can't do anything if you don't have that uh, self-trust that comes yeah. from this battle. You know. Yeah. Um, if you had advice for females around these topics, you know, I don't know, like around self-confidence and boundaries, or even around kind of trafficking and things like that, does anything come to mind? Um, so I would employ what I actually teach downrange and it's asking yourself why why am I not good enough why do I feel insecure why do I feel like I'm not the person I want to be um, why do I feel like I'm not accepted for who I am those are a lot of questions that I think people have in the back of their mind but they don't actually answer for themselves yeah. Um, and asking why is probably the most fundamental thing that one can do to, Im to improve their life. Um, yeah. So to women and, and even girls, you know, why do you feel insecure? What are you doing that's causing that, that feeling of insecurity? Are you comparing yourself to other people? Are you in a bad environment like I was for myself? What are some things that within your power you can do to help change those types of behaviors or environments, right? Um, if it takes you having to get rid of social media so you can stop comparing yourself to other women, just do it, do it. right? Yeah, um, do it for yourself, for your own good. Right? Save yourself, yeah. Um, what kind of friends are you surrounding yourself with? That was so huge for me. You know, uh, I, needed, I needed people who can elevate me to that next level um, who had high expectations for me. And I, I still do, actually. If anything, I now run with wolves, as the quote goes. Um, and, you know, I want to give a shout out to Buck Grant and um, Matt Owen and a couple of other guys, Jared Mihongi, which you actually were with not too long ago. Yeah, um, he's going to be at this next symposium. <laughs> we're going to tear it up. Yeah, those individuals are amazing because they have this mental resilience where you just know that that they are they are there and they had to have gone through their own insecurities, their own struggles um, 
whatever that was, they got to where they are now. If you look up to somebody and you have a very good reason why you're looking up to them and you want to be like them, surround yourself with people with the same mindset, right? If you take an insecure person and you drop them into a circle of people who have that high expectation, you are either going to transform yourself into those same types of people, or you're just going to sit at rock bottom for the rest of your life. There's, there's no other option. You're either going to do it or you're not. Yeah. Right. And for me, um, when I had nobody to look up to, when I had no sense of guidance and I was constantly in my insecurities and just my depression, um, I, I was wandering, you know, when I met Daniel and he took me under his wing, that was, that was the start of it. That was an introduction to your life can be better if you yourself set up those expectations. Um, and so once not only Daniel, did, uh, but with others, once I started surrounding myself with the right kinds of people, then it was easier for me to work through those insecurities. And it's not about, um, you know, them trying to reinforce positivity for me. I had to visualize that by looking at them and the life that they live. That was for me to say, okay, that's what I want to be. What do I have to do to get through to get to that point? Um, and so having role models is a huge thing for, you know, girls or women. And I don't think that that's a lot of good today. There's not a lot of strong female characters out there who are guiding young women and children to being stronger in, in their adult life. Um, a lot of people look up to Kim Kardashian um, and, you know, all these celebrities that are so meaningless. Yeah. Um, I know that sounds so harsh, but they're purpose in life is to just act on screen or to be a fashionista and there's nothing wrong with that but it's not meaningful right. what is that doing for you as a person to progress in life nothing because it's all aesthetics we need right. we need a moral compass we need somebody who's there to really talk reality with you um, everyone loves to sugarcoat things these days and that's a huge problem like I'm the most blunt person that I, I think anyone could ever meet um, and so I, I needed that kind of bluntness from others as well I needed someone to say Emily you're fucking up today all right what am I doing wrong right there's criticism accept criticism so it is if you don't like what they're saying maybe it's because there's some truth to it you know yeah. so again just deciding what you want to do with your life starts with imagining and visualizing who you should surround yourself with, because then you have somebody who's going to say, if you want to be like me, or if you want to come close to anything in my circle, then you have to meet this level of expectation. And that that's so important. So important standards. They literally, you said like so many things in there. They're so good uh, with regards to constructive feedback. Yeah get your feelings out of the way and get better. Like they just, you know, like powerful people will give you feedback. And if you can't just get your feelings out of the way, no, like even if they say it to you mean, you got to understand this is the path to getting better. It's like, wait, what am I doing wrong? What do you think I'm doing wrong? I'm going to investigate that. I'm going to root it out and I'm going to get after it. And it's just the way, you know, and then with uh, uh, your relationships, they have this thing called the rule of fives, which is like, you're only going to rise as high as your five closest yeah. friends. And that's because those norms that are around you, they're everything, you know, like uh, I remember when I started even shooting competitively and I'm hanging with Luke and all those guys and they're burning it down. And I, I you got to crawl. You just got to crawl, man. You got to crawl for a while. But then you start the norm is this high bar. 
you know, and you start to realize what you're seeing in front of you starts to drive you because your perspective will dictate your performance. Like what's possible. I remember the first time I saw that Rambo movie when the guys are, you know, on the ship and they're about to like take the woman and, you know, it's one of the latest Rambo's, one of the new ones where he's like old and 60, but he's like amazing and like roided out and awesome still. And he like, and I remember he like shoots like six pirates in a few seconds. And I remember being like, that's impossible, you know? And then I started hanging with these dudes, shoot competitively. And I start realizing like, it's not actually impossible. Like we could probably do that, you know? Like, um, and I start being like, this is what's possible. And then, you know, that perspective elevates, you know, and then that goal elevates and then the norm of who you're running with elevates. And then all of a sudden that dictates your performance. And now you're getting to a place where it's like, no, I can, I can almost do things like this. Yeah. You know? and, and it changes your life. And it's like, and for all, and you're right. There are so many bad role models, bad people that are elevated in the world. And you find yourself as like, well, who do I look up to? Me having no, I mean, my dad is a great man who I love, but he was in the Bahamas when I was growing up. So I was like, well, how do I, who do I look up to? You know, thank God, you know, I had the Holy Spirit to guide me. And my whole life has been about a relationship with him and with my creator, you know, that's been my guiding light. Um, but I, I ultimately was like, well, whose ideas do I allow into my mind? Because like, you know, I, I've got to figure out how to do this life. And fortunately, I discovered audiobooks. And I was like, well, guess what? You know what? I don't have any male here who's like good enough for me to want to follow, you know, because yeah. in, in the church, I was like, I was a warrior. So in the church, there's all these like really nice guys, you know, happy wife, happy life. And I was just yeah. like, nah, dude, nah, bro. I'm like, no, like, I'm not following you. I got to learn some stuff from you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, like, you're not my type of dude, you know, and, and I, I started to really go on my own journey and thank God I was like, you know what, I'm just going to spend some time with like Tony Robbins and Les Brown and Zig Ziglar and, uh, you know, uh, Robert Greene and all these authors. And I'm going to really spend time with the thoughts of great men who've done yeah. great things way beyond what I've ever done. Yeah, and, and I'm gonna absorb that, and absorb their opinion, and absorb the way they look at problems. You bet they've solved problems that are much more sophisticated than what I'm looking at, you know. And um, it's made all the difference. So your friends, if you ain't got friends around you, go online and download some good friends. Yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. I mean, I wasn't too big into listening to podcasts for a while, but I actually started with yours. Um, do you remember back then when I was asking you questions about executive protection? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I went to the audition with um, uh, Gavin DeBecker and Associates, right? And I graduated from their academy. Um, I studied, really? I did, yeah. I even have a certification and all these other things. Um, that was actually last January, or no, last February is when I went in. Um, and it was a 10 day academy. Um, and I walked out of that feeling a lot more accomplished because, you know, mental resilience was a thing. Uh, but the fact is that I had to prove to myself that this is what I wanted. Um, why do I want to be an executive protector? You know, I'm sure that a lot of people ask you that question. And it's not just because I want to do good in the world, but because in, in many ways, that is one way to prove that you are uh, worthy of the position. You, are, you have to prove to yourself every single day why you are worth that job. And it's not about the money because at the end of the line, like they're paying you to be disposable. Yeah, right? <laughs> you're the help. <laughs> yes, 
but it keeps you in line with what you're thinking and feeling. Emotional intelligence is another huge thing that people don't talk about. Um, And so when you surround yourself like with, well, when I surround myself with people like you who are constantly talking on their podcasts about mental resilience and how you guys go through difficult times or push through your insecurities, like those are so important because nobody has those real talks. And if nobody talks about those things, then everybody's going to live a very mediocre life because they have no guidance. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. That means everything that's huge this stuff the the stuff feedback i get from these things is beyond priceless thank you so much no there's a reason why people listen to you there's a reason why you know everyone's always uh looking up to you listening and taking your advice about not just executive protection about life in general you know you post a lot about these situations and scenarios that people can find themselves into but have no concept of like what the flaws are in in these uh threat situations and you expose that so that you can help teach others about it so that they may never have to go through it and that's very commendable no thank you thank you it's it's awesome it's um I think being authentic is a muscle you have to build, you know, because you're, we're born into insecurity, you know? Yes. So, you, you know, me being like a little fat black kid, you know, oh. without a dad back, dyslexic, you know, last guy finishing the tests, you know, kids, you know, I was, you know, so I've had to build this muscle to then be authentic, to then be able to um, just be me as much as I can. And then the beauty of that, is that then people start to really appreciate you and it's like you've exposed this lie you know about that you that you were telling yourself about yourself but then the other side of that lie and the insecurity was well when you started the value wasn't there you know it really wasn't so you had to go on a journey of putting it there so that you could then like the seed of greatness that's inside of you could actually blossom yeah you watered it and because you did the work to keep the soil fertile it's this crazy thing so when people are like yo what you're doing is amazing you're like well thank you you're like i'm being i'm I'm like i'm being myself and it's like no you know there's a lot of work that went into that you know and that's the work that i literally live to help other people see noah's inside of them and bring out of them that's awesome that'll make the world so awesome you know it's like yeah you think of yeah David Goggins. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, I use my posable thumb. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like your situation was very similar to his. Maybe, obviously I know a lot of people give him crap for being obsessed with running, but that's not the point. The point mm-hmm. is that he went through buds multiple times because he's like, it. it's at this point where I need to prove to others, not just myself that I can do it. Right. Everyone kept saying that it was impossible. He he had injuries like his knees went out on him. I mean, he went through so much shit, but you know what? He still pushed through it because at this point it was like, I'm either going to prove it to someone else and or myself that I can do this. And I, I'm going to freaking die if I don't. Right. Like I'm going to I'm going to live and breathe and keep pushing it. And if I if I die today, then at least I know that I gave it my all. I didn't just, you know, whimper out on it and be like, oh, I guess, you know, it just wasn't meant for me, which tends to be the case these days. We were talking about soft individuals, um, the the resilience, not just physically, but mental. That's such a big thing. Like everything in your brain, the world is a mind fuck. People yeah. don't think that way. They think that it's 
all physical obstacles that are preventing them from elevating to that next life. But really it's all about what's in your head. What are you telling yourself when you're going through shit? Yeah. Thank you. That's a huge compliment. I will try to live up to it. <laughs> I have uh, for sure. That means a lot. Puts gas in my tank. I, uh, yeah, that's awesome. PTSD, you know, um, I know that it's not over, you know, like people look at us and they uh, see a person who's developed and like has things that they think that they want and has, you know, someone they look up to, they see us at this like place in our journey where they think that these things are over. But what would you say? But then the reality is they're not, you know, like I still have stories I tell from, you know, things that happened to me years ago that I'm just like, still sometimes, you know, everyone at the party's like, wow. And like, in my head, I'm like, that happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I've told the story a billion times and I'm like, and you know, or I still have dreams and I still, you know, wake up in the middle of the night startled and do things, you know, um, yeah. what would you say about dealing with these things and how you dealt with them and how you at least got yourself to where you're at and, you know, oh what, is, what is that? What comes to mind? Ugly. It is the ugliest thing I think any individual can work through because um, it's not something that you can just take a pill and make it go away. Yeah. Uh, it requires a lot of self-discipline, which, you know, for years I didn't have. It wasn't until this year that I started my self-discipline and I'm 31. <laughs> so, you know, like I, like I was trafficked when I was 17. So between then and now, like, it was just pain. People don't realize, people think, I think PTSD, immediately when you think PTSD, people think about veterans, right? They think about war, they think about everything that they've been through. And absolutely, I feel terrible for our service members, including yourself, who still have to go through these things. Um, and, you know, trying to find an escape that is almost impossible because it's in your head. You can't remove yourself from it in any way. It's not like what we were talking about, removing, removing your physical being from your toxic environment. It's impossible. It's almost impossible within yourself. Um, and so dealing with PTSD really comes down to having that self-discipline of, I want better for myself. And what started that for me was when I was at my very worst, um, you know, literally in the middle of the act of about to commit suicide. Um, and this was last year with my husband around um and it was very hard for him obviously um it's i hate hating myself i hate being where i am if i don't want to feel like this anymore what do i have to do right um i had this issue where i couldn't sleep at night and lack of sleep equals irritability equals not being able to even function properly so I had to find a means to get around doing that, you know, and if you're surrounding yourself with people who are not sympathetic, who are not understanding, um, that can be a toll on your PTSD also. I mean, you yourself, if you were to surround yourself with people who, let's theoretically say, didn't believe PTSD existed, right? And you can't even vent to them, even if they couldn't understand, the fact is that they wouldn't be there to listen to your problems and you needed them, that's hard on you. That's not gonna make your situation any easier, right? No, or if they thought only veterans have PTSD. There's that, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I, the, uh, you know, like on that, 
veterans are almost the only people that I can really connect with about trauma. And it's mainly because of the torture that I went through. Because a lot of times, you know, rape victims know that they were physically assaulted, they were sexually assaulted. And on that level, I can relate with. But to have to go through torture, um, you know, there's a different level of mentality that was established and understood for veterans, especially depending on what kind of work that you do. Yeah. Um, and so recently, my husband and I went to North Carolina and he introduced me to a friend of his who's, I think like in his 80s, he's actually one of the few remaining World War II veterans. Um, and he was an interrogator. So I asked him a lot of questions. You know, most of my questions had to do with, well, when you were interrogating and you would do these things to people, how would you be able to go through those things mentally? How would you be able to sleep at night? And down to it, he said, if I didn't do this, somebody would die. It was either my friend would die or I would die or, you know, I would fail my country. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of circles back to why am I doing what I'm doing? Why, why am I trying to make myself a better person? Right. And then going also back to, because if I don't make myself a better person, then I can't make others feel good about themselves either. There's, there's no other power to do way. it. Right. <laughs> we just have to do it. Um, and so it's okay to struggle. It's okay to, to have ugly days. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days, but set yourself up for success, right? If you need to go find answers that can help you sleep at night, go do it. If you need to be physically active to just like sweat all that stress out, go do it. If you need to eat better, go do it. If you need to surround yourself with better people to help you think more clearly or to make you feel good about yourself, just do it. Right. I sound like a freaking Nike commercial right now, but it's true. It is true. It's everything. Yeah. Accept the ugliness of PTSD. Accept that you're going to feel like shit for a really long time. And it's just part of the healing process. You know, there's, there's no overnight success for anything. It may take years. It may take a whole lifetime. But every day that you try is going to help you be where you want to be. Yeah. Yeah, just like what we were just talking about. Every day that I try to get better at shooting, you might not feel like anything's happening. But then like a year or two later, it's like, wow, man, I actually am getting a lot closer to where I always wanted to be. Yeah. But I think, you know, the other things you said that are really, really important is like, it's, um, you have to like, I don't know, for me, you know, I was, um, I think a lot of my, like dealing with traumas, I just got addicted to like my dopamine and I got addicted to like, the intensity of life, you know, I have either conquer or die tattooed across my shoulders in Latin, you know, like, and um, dealing with the good and the bad of trauma and combat. And, you know, dealing with that really has to do with, like, it starts kind of for me in the physical, you know, it really started in like doing things to uh, not scratch that itch but like the working out and stuff like that it really helped exercise that aspect of me you know what i mean and i think that's kind of what you're saying like if there's anything in you or anything that you can do that will help you feel better you better do it because the reality is the best medicine for depression is activity all right 
<laughs> if you can't get yourself in activity, you might just kill yourself. Then it's yeah. just true because dudes are doing it all the time, every day, every couple hours, actually, uh, arguably. And um, thinking that you're too strong or whatever thought is holding you back from doing it um, is, is the thought that could cause you to slip into a place that you can't get out of, you know? Um, so I think really what well, you're answering, like get in motion and start doing that. It's like feeding that, that healthy side of yourself yeah. you know? and then staying in the torment of the memory, remembering and the torment that we naturally have to battle because of what we've gone through without being in action is like accepting a slow death, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think part of it is, is reconditioning your lifestyle, right? When you saw combat and you came back having this easy life horrible. after months <laughs> or years, yeah. like, I feel so useless. There's no purpose in my life anymore. Like in you lost, that connection and kinship with your brothers out there and when you don't have that after coming back to the states like you don't know what to do with yourself right so in my situation when I was removed from from being trafficked my mentality was I had a purpose then like I put my life on the line for that reason to keep my family alive and now what do I do with myself like it, nothing makes sense. The, the world isn't real to me anymore. I can't interact with people the way that I would have to interact in that room. And so kindness was an anomaly for me. You know, again, self-respect was an anomaly for me. And so you have to learn how to recondition yourself to fit your environment. You know, everyone talks about that tactical Gumby or Semper Gumby it is. And it's true. It's like, wherever you are, you just have to you just have to blend into your environment if you want to thrive in it. So what are you willing to do to make that happen? Yeah, no, that's hundred percent correct. Two things that I'd say about that is oh, so much of life is about being in an ever changing environment an ever changing map. And so we have the responsibility to always fashion the most effective tools to deal with that map. When we don't, we get maladaptive behavior. We get a behavior. We, we use strategies and tools that, come from an old place in life where maybe those strategies and tools were survival tactics, but here they'll get you killed or cause you to kill someone, uh, vets, or, or cause you to, they'll bring about negative results, you yeah. know? Um, and so we always have to be upgrading the tools we're using to navigate our new environment and find happiness and find progress and all these different things in these new environments. This is a mission in life. And it's, I think it, it really does help deal with the things that we've been through, you know, I forgot the other thing I was going to say, but <laughs> that was, that was a very good takeaway from that, you know, get yourself in motion, learn the new tools, find, I always tell guys, find that new fight, you know, and find that new purpose, because this is what I was going to say. Trauma has a very interesting way because it holds so much weight in your mind and in your being. There's a very interesting way of defining you very deeply so with you being in that room and having that purpose and keeping your family alive by doing what you had to do and all these different things, it like makes that your world. 
you know, it makes Iraq made it in my world. Even now, I still love Iraq. I'll go back there right now and and and, and oddly feel at home, you yeah. know. And and I had all these near death experiences, and you know, like people tried to kill me, and they had killed me at one point, and all these different things. Then like some would say, like, well, isn't it like a horrible thing? Well, isn't that room a horrible place? And yeah, it was. It was. I've never have experienced misery like that in my life. I'll never experience it again like that. But I'll never let myself forget it either. Um, there's so much to be said for that, but trauma has a way of like defining your reality so richly and so deeply that when you come to these other realities, it's like, you're completely disconnected. Um, and it's like this rich, deep purpose. It's like, uh, uh, you can't really get at that again without that intensity and that trauma. It's very interesting. And so, so much of life is like rehabbing yourself to like come back up to the surface of like normal, normalness um, and fashioning new tools to be able to step into that fight. And the thing I think about civilian life that's so interesting, especially when you've lived such an intense life before, like both of us have, um, you may think that civilian life, because it's comfortable, it's not dangerous. But it's so seductive that the comfort you have is what's dangerous because you ferment, you fall, you, you ferment into this just blob of, of, of unworked out. Like you, you, it's, it's corrosive. The Mm -hmm. comfort is corrosive and and that will kill you as you're And bad guys, terrorists, you name it, they are all relying on the fact that you remember how comfortable the civilian life is. Yeah. They're like, oh, we have like Irvine, right? Everyone's like, oh, it's so, it's, it's so clean. It's it, There's nothing that ever happens. The it's, cop cars are white for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's... But shit happens in the most uh, beautiful places. Like the worst things happen in the most beautiful places. Yeah. People say, why would it happen in Orange County? Well, it's a very rich county, right? You, you have money trickling in every day. People who live there are very well off and you just have to follow the money. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> follow the money. Yeah. And if you ever really want to know the truth, turn off the news and follow the money. Yeah. That's, that's how you find it in, these, in this world. What good has come from this in your life? From... The trafficking or from the trafficking situation what did you see normally my like the immediate thought is there was nothing good that came out of it right because obviously i'm focusing on the negative aspects that i've experienced um i still have a bitterness in my heart when i think about the day that i didn't get to kill myself I'm, i'm going to be hung on to that for a while i know but the beauty of it is that even if i i've I'm ungrateful that I had a second chance at life. I never would have experienced this. I never would have experienced having amazing people in my life, such as yourself, my husband. Like, I never planned on getting married. And when I did, everyone's like, are you serious? Did that really happen? Or are you just kidding? I never would have surrounded myself with amazing people, never would have gotten married, wouldn't be a firearms instructor, wouldn't have never learned how to shoot competitively. Um, my life has changed dramatically for the better. And if I went back in time to that moment when I was about to kill myself and said, you just have to believe and trust in the process that good things will come. I would not believe that at all. I'm like, you're fucking with me. There's something wrong here. Like I'm delusional at this point. Right. 
Um, and I'm sure that in your own ways, you probably sat waiting to wait out there in the sand and you're just like, life doesn't seem like it can get better than this moment, but it's true. It does. And it's because you wanted it, right? Like I had a chance at, at life again. And even though I wandered for years and I couldn't find myself, I eventually landed somewhere. I started somewhere, even if it was much later in my life. Um, and a lot of people think, oh, you know, I started too late, whether it's a career or a relationship, whatever it is, it doesn't matter because the fact is that you're starting somewhere. And every day that you get to live and breathe is another chance for you to start over if you have to. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's why I put the question there because the duality of life is there. Light implies dark, life implies death. You know, ones, zeros, it's all there. Left implies right. Up implies down. You can't get away from it. It's crazy. It's a crazy thought considering some of the things we've been through. But ultimately, there's this thing called choice. And what we choose to look at is what we choose to amplify is what we choose to be. And the reality of this game is, you know, no matter what it is that's happened to all of us, there is good that can come from it. It's the alchemy of life. And you wouldn't be here as strong as you are. You wouldn't be here with the ability to speak into people's lives that are thinking that no one understands and no one can reach them. And they, they've been through some of the most, they have been through the most horrible things imaginable. You wouldn't be here able to, shining a light, you know? Like, I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know what the rest of your life's gonna look like or what you're gonna choose to do with it. But in this moment, you're sitting here, you're healthy, you're strong, you've got your struggles. We've all got our struggles. You're an example, you're a teacher, you know? Um, you're, you're a wife. You know, and the things that can come from that are just uh, absolutely boundless. You know, it's such a beautiful thing, what you've chosen to do, you know. And, you know, I, I, I do quote the Bible a lot because it's what has guided me, you know. But, you know, I've placed before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. And you've chosen life. That says everything about you, you know, and the, the sovereignty we have as, of, as humans. You know, it's such a beautiful and powerful thing. It's not to be taken lightly. Just because bad things happen doesn't mean that's what it is. No, what we choose is what it is. Okay. And you've chosen, you know, to make something out of it. What doesn't kill you has made you stronger. <laughs> It'll still <laughs> suck, but. <laughs> yeah, it still sucks. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have our stars, you know. Yeah. But um, it's powerful stuff. I love it. Thanks. Thank you for all of that. How would you like to be remembered as we start to close this? Oh my gosh. I've never <laughs> even thought about that question. Never a dull moment. No, never. You're always leaving me guessing. Um, how do I want to be remembered? I don't, I don't seek glory or recognition in anything, honestly. I just, I just want to be remembered as a good human being, a genuine human being, and that's it. And I think it's because I know how hard it is to be a good person. You know, a lot of times we're tempted into falling into what we feel. Like if you're having a shitty day, you're like, I want to just fuck the world. Like, screw it. I give up. But it takes a lot for you to still go out of your way to make sure that your behavior doesn't affect others. Right. It's, it's very selfish if you were to just fall into that trap of like, feel what you feel and then do whatever you want. 
then you start unraveling yourself at that point. All that discipline that you gained over the years to, to be who you currently are can be gone in a split second based on a poor choice. And so for me, every day I, I ask myself, like, who do I want to be today? Right. It's not necessarily like I want to be a good person. It's who do I want to be? My actions may be good. My, my words may be good. But am I going to be able to live with myself at the end of the day with the words and the choices that I've made? Um, and how will that affect others? So um, it's funny because I had a friend over last night and she jokingly said, um, you know, I have this fear that no one's going to show up at my funeral when I die. And immediately I'm like, why would it matter? Because you're dead. <laughs> like You won't know the difference, right? Um, but she made a very good point. The amount of people that show up at your funeral is not necessarily a rep representation of who you've touched in your life. But generally speaking, it shows that someone has seen that you're a good individual. And for me, I just want to leave a legacy of good and genuine behaviors right? Um, like through my teaching, and that's the best way that I can do it because I currently don't have kids. It's how am I making a positive impact in their life that they can carry on to wherever they go in life? Because that confidence building is very addicting, right? There's a reason why people listen to you and your podcast. There's a reason why we go and seek uh, working out because we feel good about ourselves. So if we find an individual who can leave a lasting legacy of goodness in this world, I think that's huge. I think that's really important. And so for me, I just want to be seen as someone who's good. Yeah, absolutely. Very honorable. Absolutely. No, it's, that's, that's the aim. That's the aim. Absolutely. You know, and it says a lot, you know, coming from the things that you've come from to be able to do that. It's huge. It means everything, honestly. I don't know if people realize it, <laughs> but it does. Favorite quote, mantra, saying. Favorite quote. Um, so my dark side. <laughs> it's always dark, there. Yeah. <laughs> my dark side says, uh, let not life divide what death can join together. Interesting. And for me, it's that you're suffering in this lifetime and in an instant you can choose death and end everything, right? You can, you can finally be at peace because that's what I was seeking is peace for a long time. And I lived off that quote for a long time, but now it's, I don't really have a very specific quote I think anything that speaks to me along the lines of quit tomorrow, you might hate today, but just get through it. And if you really want to quit and quit tomorrow, when reality, you're just putting it off, yeah. right? Like any struggle that you're going through, just go through it today and then just think about it overnight. Yeah. Put in the 24 hour box. I think also your first quote also works because like the reality is you're choosing, you're choosing to make peace with your life. You know, you're not choosing death for that peace. You're choosing to make peace with your life and every day that you try to live a better life. That's what we're doing here. You know, yeah, it's a beautiful quote. I see the duality even in that, you know, it's like, no, you're choosing in, in this, in these moments, as you try to create a better life, you're choosing peace with yourself while you're alive which is 
the highest road you can choose, you know, despite anything and everything that happens. And that's what we have to do as humans. It's beautiful. Absolutely. Is there a habit that you would recommend people look into to help them be better people or better protectors or anything like that? I always like to see what people's habits are like. I guess that leads into another quote, practice makes habits. Yeah. And we can think of it as a biomechanical behavior. We can think of it as something that you meditate over. Um, but a habit to make yourself better really starts with uh, emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. right? When we're struggling, we immediately feel instinctive uh, emotions like sadness, anger. You, you drive out there, someone someone's cutting you off, you feel road rage. But you have to choose what you're going to be doing next about that situation. Am I going to let myself have a bad day over this not even 30 second incident? Like maybe it was a five second incident. Um, Or am I just going to say, you know what, maybe this person is having to rush to the hospital or maybe that they just didn't realize that I was right behind them. The fact is nobody got hurt. So I'm not going to get worked up over it. Right. Practicing the emotional intelligence on every about everything that you do throughout your day will help you understand how you yourself can react to things better. 100%. Will Smith, the first person I heard say this, but life is so much less about managing your situation or your environment. It's really about managing your mind. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that my husband and I actually talk a lot about because he and I are similar in many ways, but we're also different in other ways, right? Like he's a very... um, He's a very intellectual, but also more sensitive person when it comes to emotions. And for me, because my therapist says I'm way too logical and that I don't allow myself to feel, I have to learn from him what I'm allowed to feel or when it's appropriate to feel things, right? So for me, my escape from a lot of uh, conflict would be to disassociate myself into a third perspective and to try and um, compartmentalize everything in front of me, right? I literally think in an algorithm, something's happening, what are my options and what are the end results to those options? It seems easy, right? But then because I'm human, I have the emotional aspect behind it. But because I've conditioned myself to feel, not feel, I'm sorry, not feel and to think that way, I have to start allowing myself to understand it's okay to feel good about these things or it's okay to feel bad about these things. But if you're feeling something, don't let it get in the way of your thought process. And so um, it's weird because I know a lot of people don't quite understand that where it's like, well, how do you not have emotions? I have emotions, right? Obviously I just cried a little bit earlier um, because of intense things that had happened in my past. Um, But if you don't understand emotional intelligence and you start building and and having pent up, let's say anger or sadness, how do you think that's going to affect the future? Like it's going to explode or implode at some point. But if you're able to process those emotions on a regular basis and to really talk yourself through it and you have a better understanding of why you react to something and how you can overcome those reactions, I think that you would live a much better lifestyle. You're right. 
I agree with you 100%. Sorry, I need to rant, I know. <laughs> no, it's good. I, 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 I'm very much the same way. I'm very, I very much work the same way. I get on fights with my psychology teachers all the time. They're like, you need to be spiritual. And I'm like, yeah, well, look, <laughs> once I come up with a plan, yeah, I'll pick an emotion that'll help me execute that plan. And yeah. we'll be good. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't know. Crying just doesn't help me. <laughs> they're yeah. like, you know, and they're like, but don't you? I'm like, yeah, I, I know my emotions. Yeah. I know how I feel about something. But I'm not going to let that dictate the way I act. My emotions are like misbehaving children. I had one psychologist that was like, said something to me like, you need to like, something about like, you need to like, uh, you know, like honor your feelings or do what you feel or something. And I was like, you're crazy. No. I was like, if I did what I felt, there'd be dead people. Maybe people everywhere. Please, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, absolutely. I'm a human being. This yeah. is crazy right now. What's going on in here? Okay. Like yeah. no one needs to even know what goes on in here. Okay? <laughs> um, like, Just let me do my thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. No. So I, I, I emotional intelligence is everything. It's yeah. Like, but can... something, something that I also learned through mm -hmm. that journey is if you don't feel something, don't try to force feelings into it. This yeah. world that we live in right now, it's all about thoughts and feelings. And I hate that because if I don't feel something specific, why do I have to force it? It's not natural to me. Why, why am I trying to convince myself to feel something? It's, it's weird to me, that, that concept. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I had that discussion with my husband not too long ago uh, because he, he jokingly says I'm a robot because yeah. when we have discussions or if I have a thought process that I'm expressing to him, he's just like, that's very like binary. <laughs> yeah, linear and binary. Yeah. Um, and I have a, an explanation for everything. Yeah. Um, but what he also realized is like, if she sees things logically and she has no emotional attachment to any of those thoughts, like why do I have to make her understand what I feel right? In that different perspective. And of course, like we try to feed off of each other, trying to understand why somebody feels something, but don't force yourself to feel that equally if you don't. Yeah. 100%. I agree. 100%. And you say, I completely, we're, I'm the same way with my, with my wife or the same thing. And everyone's like feeling all these things, even to the point where I get gifts sometimes. And I'm just like, I have to like try to make myself look happy so everyone knows I'm happy but I am really happy but like yeah. my, my, my actual genuine response is like yo this is cool thanks man you know but I have to be like but everyone will be like do you even like like it or whatever <laughs> but like I guess you know it's, it's not, right? like when we receive, know yeah when you receive a gift you don't see the object itself you see the intent behind it and that's what you appreciate yeah. right you're like oh this person thought about me and that's really awesome even if you're like I don't really care about the gift but people are so focused on the material objects, right? Because they themselves put so much thought and emotion behind the object, thinking that you're going to like it. When really it's just the gesture that you appreciate, not necessarily the, the item itself. Right, right, right. Well, this has been amazing. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much, Emily. For Thank you, Byron. That's been beautiful. I really appreciate you. And I, I really honor you, your strength and the decision you've made with yourself um despite everything it's very very honorable and i hope that this episode will go far and reach the people it's supposed to reach you know thank you uh, it's legacy work so thank you once again thank you so much for the opportunity 
Absolutely. Where are you at these days? Where can people, what are you up to these days? Where can people find you? Any, make sure you send me any handles and stuff. Like if you're on the gram or all that stuff, where can people find you these days? Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm at AIM, the number two dot. Oh no, I just messed that up. I'm sorry. I'm going to start. Oh good. The links will be down below once you send them. Yeah. To me. Um, so it's on Instagram. I'm at aim to misbehave uh and we'll just have that written out because it's a little complicated to write out yeah. um, but in any case outside of instagram or social media i could be found at prado olympic shooting park teaching private lessons or group lessons uh and then down in oceanside at iron sites so yeah. outstanding and she's an outstanding firearms instructor and i've trained with emily and uh she can shoot she can hang she's awesome so and, and yeah dudes if you guys aren't on your game don't challenge her because <laughs> good to go awesome well thank you so much once again and uh i'm looking forward to everything and watching what you're going to do with the rest of your life thank, thank you so much boom yo what up i hope you guys really enjoyed that episode hey listen in order to get more out of the brand i want to encourage you to go join us on our social media platforms and join us at protectornation.com we post different types of content on our different platforms at different times uh you'll get blog posts you'll get videos you'll get real world combat engagements and things like that so stay plugged in in order to get the most out of the brand in order to support us also, go to protectornation.com and buy something or join forces with me on Patreon. You'll scroll down the homepage and you'll see the link. Uh, anything you can give counts, you know, think about whatever you would lose in your cushions or like spend on McDonald's this month, five bucks a month, whatever it is. Uh, that helps. That helps us make the world a better place by making good people dangerous. Anyways, this is Byron Rogers, protector by nature and by trade. And I'll see you on the next piece of content, whether it's a video or podcast out.